0: Headphones look a little tight. Do they? Well, I mean the cable. Oh.
1: <laughs> I think it's fine. I'm gonna move the mic closer. To my face. Very to I that. don't know if I can do that. <laughs> How am I supposed to drink my coffee? <laughs> I need like a straw.
0: You lean back if you're gonna drink your coffee. Do this. Here I'll give you a demo. <laughs>
1: That's
0: why I have a spin chair.
1: I don't have a spin chair. <laughs> Oh my god, why am I crying? Are we doing this? Why are we already doing this?
0: It's already begun. <laughs> the hunts, episode six.
1: <laughs>
0: um, yeah, so you're back from Africa. You're freshly back from Africa. I
1: am really fresh back from Africa. Today's the first day I've like been able to think at all.
0: <laughs> yeah, you got up at the same time as me today.
1: Yeah, that was so nice. Where, okay, so let's think. Um, Today is Thursday. Is that a true statement?
0: Yep. Okay, Today's Thursday. Thursday, August 1st.
1: Okay, so I left the Serengeti on Sunday. My flight from Serengeti to Amboseli was at 11 a.m. Nairobi time on Sunday. And then I landed in Denver at like 7.15 on p.m. on Monday, yeah? Yep. And then Tuesday morning, I got up at 5.30 <laughs> maybe <laughs> and then went to an all-day teacher training. And then I did the same thing yesterday. So today is the first day where I have actually been able to leisurely Start my day.
0: We're even having a second cup of coffee. Oh
1: my God, it's so good. Although the coffee is not as good as I was hoping it would be. What do you think? It's not bad. This coffee is from...
0: uh, Where is this coffee from?
1: This coffee is from Kenya. I purchased this coffee from... So they do a lot of stuff with the wazungu, which basically means white people, um, in different parts of the... Of Kenya and Tanzania especially close to the national parks if you're close if you're a town close to a national park you're going to try to get as much wazungo money as you possibly can so we were oh it was near the Goro crater which is not a crater it's a caldera it's kind of like crater lake except like 10 crater lakes and there's no lake. Well, there's kind of a lake. The lake is seasonal. Um, and so all around, there's nothing around Ngorogoro except for a little town called Karatu. And it, its whole function is to basically try and uh, get as much Wazungo money as possible, which is great because the local people deserve to re- reap the benefits of all these like rich foreigners coming to look at their animals. Um so within walking distance of our hotel, the Teloma Lodge, which was a really nice hotel, um, it wasn't really nice. It's like two to three stars, but after living in tents, it was super nice to have like walls, like actual walls. Um, so our guide took us on a walk and a lot of the farming is communal there because nobody has a ton of land. So people just kind of Combine their land and grow something, and then they share the um, profits. And so, what this one group of families did is they, one house that had like easy access to the lodges where all the wazungu stay, um, they set up like a whole demo area where you can see the coffee plants, you can um, see the machine that seeds the coffee. Beans that takes away the fruity flesh. Um, It has a little demo that you can do. And then it shows how they dry the beans and then they give a demo on how they shuck the beans. And then there was this super cute old grandpa. He was like old. (laughs) And over an open flame, he had this like metal barrel with a handle and he was just turning it over this open flame and he was actually physically roasting the coffee. And he knows he doesn't have a watch He doesn't have a timer, but he's been doing this for so long. He knows exactly how long to roast the beans. I don't know if he counts the turns. And his turns are, he's like super steady. It never goes faster. It never goes slower. He just keeps turning and he knows exactly when to stop. And then they take the beans out, let them cool and package them up. So the beans I bought us were roasted 45 minutes before I bought them by this cute grandpa.
0: Wow, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Are the are the beans um, visible while they're being turned, or is it in, no, enclosed? no? It's oh, okay. it's
1: uh, it's an all metal. It looks like um, the Tin Man from The of Oz. <laughs> It kind of looks like his abdomen, and there's a little door that opens <laughs> uh-huh. where you can put the beans in and take the beans out. But um, yeah, it's but it's obviously not shiny like the Tin Man because it's been used for like multiple generations to roast coffee beans, and so it's really like. Dark and burnt and seasoned. It's a well. It's a well seasoned bean turner. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah. So that was really cute. Um, they only grow arabica beans in. Hold on. Lake and grow, grow or and grow grow crater is in Tanzania. So in Tanzania and I think Kenya, they only grow arabica beans with the exception of around Mount Kilimanjaro because the elevation is higher. Arabica beans don't grow there, so they have a different type of bean, which we didn't get to go to the there, so I don't know what they taste like.
0: Do you remember what the pricing was like? I'm curious because you know we spend like fifteen, sixteen dollars a pound here. Is it's it not similar? even a
1: pound. Like we pay sixteen dollars for like twelve ounces. That's true. It, I think that bag was a pound and it was ten dollars. Wow. So I almost bought two bags. I was like, man, buy one, get one free almost.
0: (laughs) Yeah, but then it's not as fresh.
1: That's true. That is a freshness. But, you know. Although you were we're being
0: critical of the flavor of the coffee. It's
1: like, I guess, (laughs) I think I'm more of a light to medium roast person. And I think this is a dark roast. Um, A few
0: less spins. He should have spent it a little bit less.
1: Right. But I mean, he's been doing this for, I don't know, 70 years. You you can't critique a 70 year old man on his life work, Mm -hmm. right? You just smile and you're like, awesome, man. (laughs) (laughs) Sweet. So, So,
0: yeah, you brought home uh, coffee and we're drinking it now for the first time. mm -hmm. You also brought home little teeny tiny stuffed wildlife. (laughs) where did that where did that come from
1: um so part so this whole trip was organized but it was a group tour and through the company called overseas adventure travel or oat for short or if you're somebody who's traveled with this company a lot which people on my tour had they call it old american travelers um i was pretty much the only there's one other person who was under the age of 70. <laughs> so mostly retired folks. Mostly retired folks. And the other woman who was I think she's a couple years younger than me. She was traveling with her mom. Like I should have been traveling with my mom. And that's another story. But um so this overseas adventure travel company has uh bunches of tours all around the world and everything's like kind of pre-scripted. But recently, as of like April or May, they started seeing fraudulent charges on some of their travelers' cards. So our guide, Saidi, was really, really told us to be really cautious about where we use our card and to keep all the receipts in case fraudulent charges start popping up. Not for our protection, because obviously our banks protect us from that. But so that the company can start pinpointing where the charges are happening. And so they can figure out if it's one location or multiple cool locations. And if it's one location, then they're just going to cut that company out of their itinerary. Um, So we couldn't just go shopping. So uh, when we were in Tanzania, we went to this place called, mm, I don't remember, Cultural something. It was really weird. Like really weird. The guy who started it is, he calls himself the King of Tanzanite. And Tanzanite is a gem that is only found in Tanzania. And it's only found in certain mines around Mount Kilimanjaro. And this guy is not Tanzanian by heritage. I believe he is. his family heritage stems from India. And there's a huge Indian population in Kenya and Tanzania. Um, that I think rolls over from when the British had colonized because they'd also colonized India. So anyways, this guy's the king of Tanzanite and he's really into himself. Um, So he built this like heritage shopping mall for tourists uh, where you can buy stuff from all different local vendors, but he like funnels it into one place. And then he has an art museum, which is all local artists that you can buy stuff from. But everything in that art museum is huge. Like, there's no way I could have carried any of that home. And I didn't really feel, like, reckoning with shipping because our guide only gave us 45 minutes to, like, do one massive shopping spree in this, like, center. And I, I had already bought so much stuff I needed a second carry-on bag. And so my main, like, purpose at this mall was to just find a duffel bag to carry all my fabulous finds home in which I did. And it's a really awesome duffel bag. So anyway, so I'm in this mall and um, go back like four years when I lived in Indonesia, I brought home a little giraffe that's made out of the traditional material of Indonesia called batik. And the pattern is the Chirban wind cloud, which I lived in cheerbon So this little giraffe has been living in our home for four years and he's kind of lonely. He's really like the only stuffed animal we have besides the teddy bear mm-hmm. from Walt Disney World. No, Disneyland. No, California Adventure. Yes. California Adventure. So anyway, so I'm like walking around this weird mall looking for a duffel bag and I looked down on this bottom shelf on the ground, which is clearly there for like small children to find it. And I saw these little stuffed animals that are made out of traditional material from Tanzania and I was like oh this is just like my giraffe and so I dug through and some of them were like stained and gross and some of them were like misshapen like you know there's giraffes with like three legs and like no tail but I think they were seconds from this other place we went later Um, so I found a little lion and I found a rhino and so I bought two little animals out of traditional fabrics to go with our giraffe and they're pretty
0: freaking cute Mm -hmm. I got to admit. Now we got a little nature display.
1: We have like a little... It's like uh, an
0: African nativity scene or something.
1: It's almost... We have three. So it's almost like we have the big five. We're just missing uh, a leopard. What are the big five? I mean, I've seen them all, but I don't remember what the big five is. Is it elephant? Elephant's one of the big fives. It's lion, rhino, leopard, cheetah, elephant. So giraffe is not part of the big five. So I clearly have more shopping to do.
0: What? What is, who made up the big five? What is this?
1: The big five, like that's when you go on safari, people are always looking for the big five. And I think the big five started when it was like hunting. These are like the animals that people really wanted to like kill and bring home parts, which... Elephant, come on, how are you, you know, if you're like a British blah blah and you live in England and you go all the way to like Kenya and you kill an elephant, you can't bring an elephant home. Like nobody lives in a place big enough for an elephant. Like there's an elephant at the Smithsonian in Washington, D.C. and it takes up most of the room. So I don't think these like British palaces are that big, but I did find out that they normally just took the legs and made them into side tables and then took the ivory. And then maybe like if it was a small elephant, they do like a taxidermied head. But I mean, come on, what a waste of an animal. Yeah. I mean, some of that is,
0: uh... so hunting, just going out. So a lot of the places you went to, I think are Basically preserves, right? They're,
1: they're national parks where they're, there they're, is they're no wild, hunting.
0: Yeah, they're wild, but but there's but it is an enclosed area. But it's a no, very oh, it's, it's not, enclosed. not enclosed at all. Mm-mm. It's just a just protected land.
1: Right. There's a perimeter where you know. So surrounding each of the parks is a is a reserve. So there's the the designated park land, and then there's many 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 kilometers that surround the park mm-hmm. that are reserve around the reserve is a perimeter and you can actually hunt in the reserve i mean it costs hundreds of thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars to hunt and you can't hunt every animal right if you decide you want to go to africa or you want to go to kenya or tanzania africa's a continent not a country um or any other country in africa and you want to hunt and that country allows hunting there's limitations on what you can hunt so in kenya There's no hunting. In Tanzania, you can hunt, but you can hunt things like the Thompson gazelle. There are so many freaking Thompson gazelles, it's almost like an infestation. So you're not, and the amount of money you have to pay to hunt is um, prohibitive. So uh, there's not a lot of hunters and what they can hunt are things that are like have a huge population. You can't hunt lions. You can't hunt elephants. You can't hunt rhino. I don't even think you can hunt giraffe. I think you're really limited in what you can hunt.
0: So I was reading, I wish I knew where I read this. I didn't know that we were going to talk about this, so I don't even remember where I read it. But obviously you don't want people going around willy-nilly killing rhinos and lions and stuff like that because there's not, there's probably not that many of them, and if everybody went over, they'd all be gone. Right. But I think that they do issue a few licenses a year for killing a lion, Incredible amounts of money, and that's used as a fundraiser. So the like the amount of so like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars, you're allowed to hunt one lion, and then that money then goads back into the reservation to actually help the lions. So you're you're like,
1: yeah, <laughs> you're killing one this.
0: lion but saving a bunch of other lions because now you have a source of income that you otherwise wouldn't have, and so you can hire staff to go around and protect do the, rest they of the need, lions. Do whatever they need to do. <laughs> well, I mean, that is a thing. There, there are. I think there are people that go around looking for poachers. Yeah, to, and and, and, all, and those people need to be paid. Right. In all the national
1: parks, they have guards who are there specifically to protect the animals. And they have veterinary staff on hand on all the national parks. Like we came across a lion that um, we actually had two, they were sister lions. One of them was the one who came up to my Jeep and like laid down next to me, which was super cool experience. But her sister lion was the reason that they were in the road and not up against a tree trying to find shade is because we realized the sister lion got up to to get closer to the line that was next to me. And we saw she was limping and she had a giant gash down one of her legs and like huge open wound. And so our we we're like, oh my God, she's limping. Oh my God, we're, she's limping. And our guides, Josh and John were like, yeah, she is limping. And then we saw the cut and John immediately got on the CB uh, and contacted the ranger to get the vet. So they told them the lake location, which... In every other national park we went to there's signs that tell you what road goes to where in the Mara, there's no signs i have no idea how these guys navigate are it's there huge. roads there's roads okay. but the, you don't like unless you know the park and you've worked in the park for years there's no way you know what roads going where right but evidently some roads are lines. kind of hang out in one area like they have they have a they have a spot that there's, it's a big area. So you don't always see the lions where you think you're going to see them, but each pride kind of has its spot. So this was a known lion area. And so he called the vet and the vet, they were sending a vet out right away. And I don't know what happened with her. I kept meaning to ask, but I didn't want to be like that weird person. That's super, I don't know. I felt weird asking for some reason. I know that seems stupid, but, um, so the vet was going to go out and probably tranquilize her and then bring her in and, but they don't do that with all animals. Like, we did see a zebra that was limping, and they're like, whatever, there's so many zebras, that's just going to be, like, somebody's snack later. Like, that zebra is going to be somebody's food. So, but the lions, there's less of them. They're more protected. Um, but, But going back to, like, paying to kill one of the big five, that's not in every country. Like, that's a country's choice. So Kenya has made the decision that there's no hunting allowed in their country. None. No hunting. You hunt, you go to jail, you, I don't know what they do. Um, There is some discussion of if you're caught poaching, that you get the death penalty. Like, you kill an animal, you die. That's kind of where the argument is in Kenya right now. Tanzania, on the other hand, says, we could use the cash, but we want—we don't want a ton of people here hunting, and we only want them to hunt things that have big populations, like the gazelles, maybe the wildebeests. There's like millions of those things, but they're really big. Um, so we're going to make it really, really expensive, so not everyone can do it. And then we're going to only narrow it down to certain animals. So I don't know. I've heard of this thing where you can pay like a bazillion dollars and kill a lion and that money goes into a foundation for lions. I've heard of that. You didn't make that up. But I don't know what country it is. It's not Kenya or Tanzania.
0: Interesting. Do you know where they get their money for running this stuff? Is it just tourism or is the government kind of pay it's for just, it?
1: It? It's just like kind of like the United States where there's a fund within the government that every year when they deal with their budget over five years or whenever they do their budgets, some money goes to the parks. Just like here, park rangers don't get enough money. There's not enough money put into the parks. Um, the cost of getting into parks, I didn't realize, is really expensive, especially for foreigners. If you're uh, if you are uh, if you are Kenyan and you want to go to the Maasai Mara, assuming you have the means to get there, which a lot of people in Kenya don't have the means, um, it's only like a dollar to get into certain parks, like a U.S. dollar, which is a hundred thousand. Kenyan
0: shillings
1: (laughs) um so So you had
0: just you said millions of shillings you're just walking around with millions of shillings probably all day long (laughs) right right.
1: so well here's a
0: million you have a million (laughs) you have a million
1: (laughs) well they take they they mostly they take both shillings and dollars like these communities that are really uh reliant on tourism fully take usd they don't they're they're not picky They'll take your USD, no problem. Yeah, why not? Take anything. Take euros. Yeah, a lot of it, them just do. figure it out later. Yeah, yeah, they have like little like systems where they can do the calculation for the conversions really fast. So they yeah, they'll take anything. They don't, probably not any
0: picky. single bill of any other currency is going to be worth.
1: Well, like when I was in Tanzania, I couldn't spend my Kenyan shillings. so I came home with one hundred and fifty thousand yeah. Kenyan shillings, which is a dollar fifty. <laughs> Um, I still have
0: a bag of whatever the Argent, Argentini, Argent, Argentinian. Argentinian money is.
1: <laughs> that we should actually probably look at converting. Because <laughs> I think it's like a lot.
0: I had When I was there, I, I couldn't get cash at the bank. The first thing my Airbnb host did was show me how to buy money in an alley. Because the, the bank's exchange rate was so horrible because they pin it. Mm-hmm. And so it's just normal for everybody to like there's tables set up in the alley where you go buy your money yeah, but and get your black market money and that was part of my welcome welcome to Argentina <laughs> <laughs> let let me introduce you to the places where you're gonna get cash while you're here and the airbnb host just kind of walked me around and showed me how to do it and they're very official. They give you receipts and they have little l e d display boards. i mean, it's just it's this whole other market that's crazy <laughs> it's insane and it's totally like it's it's can't be it's not legal, right? It can't be legal, but it's also not hidden. yeah it's very open, and everybody is like very aware of what's going on,
1: yeah, I think that in some areas like governments have to pick their battles and that's probably just not a battle that they feel like picking right now um so yeah so that was uh so i also learned so this is kind of cool the ngoro goro reserve which includes the crater the serengeti and the outlying areas of the serengeti are actually connected we drove from karatu in into the middle of the serengeti it was a really long and uncomfortable ride it is not a highway it is a uh, dirt, sand, and gravel road that has been traveled by thousands of vehicles. So if you're familiar with washboard roads, imagine seven and a half hours of washboard in the Tanzanian heat with no air conditioning. Brutal. Yeah. in a Toyota Land Cruiser. <laughs> Missing so many bolts. <laughs> with like five other people <laughs> plus a driver. Um yeah, the no AC thing because you can't open the windows because it's so dusty that whenever you a vehicle passes you, you do, the entire vehicle fills with like sand and dust. So you have to keep the windows closed and there's no AC. So that is actually that used to all just be one area. And also the Masai Mara, the only thing that separates the Masai Mara from the Serengeti is a river. Um, that separates Kenya from Tanzania. It's not only the border between the two parks, it's the border between the two countries. But that whole land was all, at one point in time, one segment of land that they called the Serengeti. And it wasn't until later... That they like drew the boundary between Kenya and Tanzania. And then for uh money purposes, I think they separated the Serengeti from the Ngorogoro Crater. So each one is an individual park. So you have to pay park fees in order to get into each one. And even when we drove from Ngorogoro Reserve to the Serengeti, even though we didn't go into the Ngorogoro crater, we had to pay a fee just to drive through the reserve into to the border of the serengeti and then we had to pay another fee to get into the serengeti does that make sense Mm -hmm. so it all used to just be one land and for a really long time the maasai people it was their land and then when the government wanted to create these national parks they had to kick the maasai out of the national park lands the maasai live in the reserve area but not within the actual park Um, because the maasai are pastoralists so they mostly just have cattle that they walk around trying to find grass for them. So did you get to do a water crossing? Did you cross that river? No, because in order to cross the river, you would go from one country to another, which means you'd have to do immigration. And they don't uh, have an immigration. They talk, they're they talking about building an immigration office right on that river yeah. so that people who are in the Mara on like a safari can just then transition right into the Serengeti without having to go down through... Uh, Amboseli National Park through Arusha and then back up. I'm sure there's a shorter way. Actually, I don't know if there's a shorter way. But is that the is route pro- that you took? Yeah, we went from, well, I did the Mara, and then I flew back to Nairobi. I did a real kind of like not streamline, but I went to three other national parks in Kenya before we went into Tanzania. So I did, we stayed at Lake Elementata which is really, really close to the national park, Lake Nukuru. And then we did Amboseli National Park, which is um, basically elephant heaven, which I posted on my Instagram a picture of a like one-month-old baby elephant running, and that was an Amboseli. I mean, I can't even tell you how cute a one-month-old baby elephant is. A, it's four times the size of Baxter. (laughs) (laughs) And weight, too, like 200 pounds? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, probably. They're huge, right? Because elephants are like... Multiple tons. And they don't have their tusks yet. They don't get their tusks until they're like three or four years old. No, three or four months old. Sorry. And then, uh, yeah, so it's just like super awkward. And its trunk is kind of like, you know when you see a puppy and it doesn't have full control of its tail? It's just kind of like moving everywhere. Elephants have that on both ends. (laughs) (laughs) They have no idea what to do with their tail and they have no idea what to do with their trunk. It's just like this flailing... Extremity. <laughs> oh my god, it's so cute. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we, you can drive through Amboseli National Park to a border, but the border between Kenya and Tanzania. So then we did immigration, and then is it we,
0: pretty basic? You just kind of go through. Like, do they even? stamp anything oh yeah i have yeah i
1: have my tanzanian immigration stamp and you have to fill out the whole like claim form like they scan your luggage through like a little x-ray thing and you have to go through a metal detector and then you have to show proof that you have your yellow fever vaccination um and then you leave kenya so you go to the little window where you're technically leaving kenya and they stamp your passport that you're leaving and then you walk over to the next window and that's Going into Tanzania. So they check your visa and stamp your passport. And then technically now you're in Tanzania. But all of our, so then we had to, but the, there's only one parking lot for this building. So then we walked back out around into the parking lot back onto Kenya side uh-huh. to get into our bus to like drive through <laughs> Tanzania. So like the borderline is fuzzy.
0: Yeah. There's kind of like this little DMZ or something.
1: (laughs) Yeah, right. It's just like kind of like "Eh, yeah,
0: you're kind of whatever. Just make sure you get your stamps
1: taken care of. Yeah, and then nobody checks. Like you can walk back into the parking lot, and nobody's going to check to make sure you actually finished your immigration. It sounds more robust than even Mexico, then,
0: because like the Mexico-U.S. border, I don't think I've like um, the Baja side, especially. You just drive through. You don't even really have to stop. Sometimes you just kind of coast through the gate.
1: Yeah, probably. But like if if you cross the Mexico border at like Tijuana, San Diego, like it's it's big. Like you can't park your car on the US side, walk through immigration, then walk back into your car and drive. Right. Once you're on the other side, like you're on the other side. Yeah. So I think, I think I'm depends. visualizing
0: it now. Yeah, it's the it's where you when you're driving up, you got the big office on your right-hand side and it's like really long and skinny or yeah. something. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So those are like the big but of, there are
0: multiple borders that you can go through. I wonder if it's right. similar. There are some you can just kind of squeak through. But if, if you don't if you don't get stamps and everything, I might make it a little bit harder to get back through the other side.
1: Right. So when I was leaving Tanzania when i when I flew out of Kilimanjaro, out of the airport, they like double checked my passport to make sure I had the immigration stamp that I came into Tanzania illegally, and they checked my visa the dates to make sure I hadn't extended my stay. So. You know, there's you can fudge it, but then just you can't leave out of a major airport.
0: (laughs) Right, Like,
1: technically, I could have walked into Tanzania from the Masai Mara, except for the fact that there was hippos and lions in the river. And, like, the lion, whatever, he had just gotten done eating, so he was super full. Like, his belly was enormous, and he was just drinking water, so he probably wouldn't have bothered me. But hippos... Not messing with hippos. They're the most dangerous animal. Hungry, hungry hippos. (laughs) They are the most dangerous animals. So I wasn't going to just walk across the river with the hippos there and be like, hey, I'm in Tanzania. But the Maasai can because that was their ancestral land and because they're pastoralists. If If you can be identified as a Maasai warrior with your cattle... You can go across the border and nobody, it's totally legal. They don't have to carry documentation. They don't have to carry anything, but their cattle.
0: Do they have designated land or they just have free reign over all the land?
1: Because they're pastoralists, because their cattle need to graze and they travel long distances, they can go anywhere, but they can't go into the national parks. So the, the reserve area around the national parks, they can go to and from, they build their houses. They have their houses in the reserves. Um, they have their businesses, you know. But
0: it's not like how we have like the Native American land. That's this is like their land. You can't you can't go in here without a permit. Oh no, no kind no, of no. thing. It's just more of a, sh- a shared thing.
1: It's a shared thing. And and uh, in, in a lot of the Maasai areas, there's other tribes that have homes there. Um. So it's not just like this is our land. You need to get out. They're like, well, you know. We just kind of walk around a lot with our cows. so if you want to stay here too, that's fine. but we share. There's um, there used to be a lot of tribal unrest in Kenya. There's 44 tribes in Kenya. It used to only be 43, but they found one that was hidden that no, that had like gone undocumented. and it was just recently they just found this undocumented tribe. Um, so there's 44 tribes. there used to be a lot of tribal unrest. Um, the government has done a lot to try and really make sure all tribes are included in, um, decision-making that like, so the Maasai are a very small tribe. They, they are a very small portion of the population. So like when it comes to voting, if who's ever running for prime minister or president, they are usually from uh, a larger tribe. Uh, I can't remember the name right now. Um, because they take up they're more of the population. So it, it would be rare to have a Maasai person run for office. But the people who are running, obviously their tribe is going to vote for them. But it behooves them to also include other tribes in their decision making or then it creates unrest. So they're, everyone's pretty friendly. They get along pretty good. Tanzania has like over 100 and some tribes in Tanzania. So yeah, it was interesting.
0: So your whole trip was a little bit over three weeks, right? It was like three and a half or something like that?
1: It was like 24 days.
0: Okay. So barely over three weeks. Yeah. If you had, and you went to quite a few different places, if you could only go for a week, where of the places you went would you revisit?
1: I guess it depends upon the time of year. Um, I would love to go back to the Serengeti closer to the rainy season to see it green, but and i would worry i i honestly my favorite place was the masai mara but i there was that's
0: the place that you went first right yeah. that's what i thought
1: and, and and i think it's not just because i went there first there's a lot of contributing factors that made it my favorite place one the great migration happened a month early this year so all of the wildebeest and the zebras who do their great migration from tanzania to kenya were in kenya so just The huge amounts of animals just, like, at the airport in the Masai Mara, which the airport is a joke. It's, like, it's brown dirt. There's no building. There's, like, an outhouse. And that's just where planes land. (laughs) That's,
0: like, those airports are the only thing that has ever attracted me to wanting to get a pilot's license. (laughs) Because can you imagine... There's got to be so many of those all around the world. I mean, even even in the United States, like yeah. in, in urban areas, there's cool airports like that, you know, with those cafes.
1: Yeah, There's no cafe at this. Airport. Yeah,
0: no, I, I believe you. <laughs> no, I believe you. It's probably just like a little wind flag and a dirt path.
1: Right, and there's nothing that even like designates what airplane you're supposed to get on. You just know what time you're supposed to be at the airport and then when a plane lands and unloads, you just get on that flight right. because all the flights go back to Nairobi. So like it doesn't really matter which airplane you get on. As long as you have a paid ticket, you can get on.
0: Are they private pilots or, or, or are these air, actual they're airlines? Are they're airlines. Like they're, un, like United Airlines or something. They're
1: not big airlines like United. They're okay. little independent airlines. Yeah. Um, but when we were leaving, there were so many wildebeests on the runway that they had to take the safari vehicles that had brought the tourists <laughs> to catch their planes. So the drivers for our vehicles got in their vehicles and started driving down the runway to try and get the wildebeest, the hundreds of wildebeests that were just hanging out on the runway off the runway so the plane could land. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so not only was the great migration in the Massey Mara, they had had, even though it's the dry season, they had had unseasonable rains. It actually rained while we were there, but it didn't rain in the area we were because the land is so flat and so big. We were overlooking for rhinos and you could see the rain like 15 miles away. And like the next day we ended up in that area and it was a sloppy mess. And our driver had so much fun driving through that mud. <laughs> but um, so it was really green. So the pictures I took in the Massey Mara are absolutely stunning because you have this bright, bright green grass and you have this just epically Pixar, like Disney blue sky. And then these just animals everywhere. So the contrast, the animals weren't as camouflaged because it was so green, whereas in the the Serengeti, it was so dry that everything is that yellow brown. So the animals were so camouflaged. Even the pictures I took of animals that were close up, I still have to zoom in on the pictures to figure out what the hell I took a picture of because the animals were so camouflaged. I'm like, why did I take this picture of this brown grass? And I zoom and I'm like, oh, look, there's a jackal sitting right there. I couldn't even see it. Um, so, and also our guides, Josh and John, were they're both really young. They were both about 23, 24, um, both fresh out of college. Josh has been a guide for three years. And John, this was his first drive with this company. They had run out of drivers. And so Josh and John have known each other for years. They're like childhood friends, they're both Maasai warriors. And so Josh just got on the phone and like called up a buddy. And so their relationship was super fun. And because they're both so young and so new to this, they get really excited. Like when we saw, when the lion came up and leaned, slept up against our uh, Jeep, Josh was leaning out of the car too, taking pictures. He's like, I've never been this close to a lion before. <laughs> you know. And then when we saw the leopard in the tree, like, John was so excited. He was, like, jumping up and down. He's like, oh, my God, I've never been this close to a leopard before. So I think they're, like, youthful enthusiasm. Like, they haven't seen everything a million times yet. Um, And John, our driver, races um, both cars and motorcycles off-road for fun. So going with him through the Masay Mara was a blast. (laughs) Because he was like, yeah, we can do this. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, so they were super fun. So I think that's what made the Masai Mara so great. The Serengeti and the Ngorogoro crater, I think would be amazing closer to the end of the rainy season when it's still really wet and green and beautiful. And I think that our Guide... He wasn't much older than me. I think he's, like, maybe four years older than me. But he's been doing this for, like, 17 years. And then our drivers were both, like, grandpas. So, like, everything was super cautious. And everyone had seen everything, like, a bazillion times. And so they didn't get quite as excited about things. Um, and so even though, like, I got excited about things, they just kind of laughed at me. They're like, how am I, Zungu? Oh, white person. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and you were saying that, that you noticed that some of the vehicles were rentable, like we could, we could potentially fly there and rent an off-road vehicle and drive around? For... Absolutely.
1: So there are, there are companies that rent the off-road, like Toyota Land Cruisers or other vehicles that are off, have off-road capabilities. Um, so these vehicles are custom-made so you can pop the top up. And so you can stand in the back and, like, look out over the animals. So, like, when you have a lion right next to you, you're not supposed to put your head out the window. You're supposed to close the window and then stand up. Makes sense. You know, so the lion doesn't take your face off. Um, But most of the lions are, like, so well-fed. They're not interested in taking your face off. (laughs) They're just like, oh, my God, I'm so full. I just need a place to take a nap. (laughs) Um, So you can rent these special safari vehicles. um, They're based in a lot of different countries. um, And so you can actually go from, as long as you have your visas uh, ahead of time, you can drive from country to country on your own. And then in the national parks, you you don't have to hire a guide, but I wouldn't recommend not hiring a guide. We saw a couple of vehicles with white people in it with no guides, and they looked completely lost and confused. They were just—all they were doing is following other vehicles— because the drivers are all on their cell phones or radios and they're talking to each other about what's happening where. Or if you just get into a park and you don't know what channel everyone's on, the first time you pull up to a car, another safari vehicle leaving the park, you flash your lights at them and they stop and the drivers talk about, okay, what channel is everyone on? What have you seen? Where is it? What's like? What are the big attractions happening today? And um, so they exchange all that information in Swahili right? So if you don't speak Swahili, no one's going to talk to you. And they also know there's like special like hand signals they give each other and like light flashing, like Morse code type flashing that unless you are a driver or a guide, you don't know what any of these signals mean. So it would make a lot of sense to hire a guide for the parks. Then you can hire like a day guide. And then there's the meet you at the gate and hop in and you pay for their entrance, which paying for uh like for us to get into a park, it would be like six hundred dollars for our vehicle. Mm, three hundred dollars for our vehicle, sixty dollars for US dollars. Yeah. And then holy smokes. Yeah. And then it is expensive. Sixty dollars for each of us, and then our guide, it would only be like five dollars to bring our guide in.
0: Wow. I didn't realize it was so expensive. It's
1: super expensive. And I, went I mean, that's to, good.
0: That's good for the parks, I suppose. I, I mean, went to
1: six parks. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of <laughs> That's, a lot, that's of money. a lot of
0: money. I wonder if they arrange like a package deal with the parks in that case, the, the agency you went through, because I can't imagine spending, there's no way you, you spent $600 for each of those parks, right? I mean, that, There's no way.
1: I actually don't know how much this trip cost. Yeah,
0: because your mom paid for (laughs) it. My mom paid for it.
1: (laughs) Thanks, mom. So while we're on this topic, I do want to like clarify one thing. So my mom and I were supposed to go on this trip together, which is why she paid for the trip. It was going to be one of our big trips that we did together. And my mom's kind of a private person, so I don't want to like out her or do anything that would embarrass her. But at the very last minute, my mom ended up getting sick and like couldn't go. So the last, so to the 48 hours before my flight left, I had convinced myself I wasn't going and then convinced myself I was going about four different times. Um, and in the end, mom said, don't cancel your trip just go. She had trip insurance. So her portion of the trip she got refunded for. I didn't get trip insurance because I'm an optimist. And why would I ever want to cancel this amazing trip to Africa? So I didn't have trip insurance. So if I didn't go, there would be no refund. So um, I just went by myself, which was weird to go by myself, but it was still pretty magical. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it's a good,
0: it sounds like you had a good time. I, I had think had a you, I, really I, good time. I don't I don't think you would have regretted it if you didn't go because you wouldn't really have known what you would have missed. But I think it seems like you're glad that you went.
1: Oh my God. It <laughs> So having a degree in environmental and conservation biology, like having studied that uh, at university and then just being like a general animal nature lover and still like keeping up on reading and podcasts and like shows that like talk about you know, all that kind of stuff. It's always been a dream to go somewhere in Africa and see this amazing place where basically humanity began. Um, And I'm so glad I went. And I got to see things that I studied at university that I never got to see in real life because they only exist on the other side of the world. So I got to see the whistling acacia, which the acacia is, it's a species of tree and shrub. There's like, I think in, in Tanzania, they have like, you know, 80 different species of, of acacia. We have acacia here in the United States. There's this one specific subspecies of acacia called the whistling acacia, and it has these giant bulbs. They're just circular round bulbs at the base of the giant uh, needles because acacia tree is known for having um, needles. Uh, Prickers, what what word am I looking for? Thorns, thank you. (laughs) Derp. Um, So the, the bulbs are hollow though. And the acacia has created or evolved a symbiotic relationship with red and black fire ants. So what happens is the ants chew little holes in the bulbs at the base of the thorns and they live inside the bulb, which might not be great for the acacia plant to have these ants like living inside of it. But what the ants do is when an animal comes to eat the leaves, the ants rush out and attack who's ever eating the leaves. So it's like a symbiotic relationship. The ants are getting a house and the plant is getting protected from having its, precious leaves. And the whistling acacia, the leaves are super teeny tiny, like tiny, 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 like half the size of Parker's nose. So they're teeny tiny little leaves. And so they have to do all the photosynthesis on these little teeny tiny leaves. So the acacia tree really needs its leaves. It can't have like a giraffe come and like strip half the tree of its teeny tiny leaves in like an afternoon, you know? So anyways, we got, we pulled over to the side of the road and we got out and walked over to a whistling acacia and I got to shake the branch and see like these teeny tiny fire ants just like swarm out of the bulbs and like towards my hand. Of course, I moved my hand before I got bit. But yeah, it was really cool to see. I was so excited. And I think the people on my trip kind of appreciated my like nerdy, sciencey, like because uh, they would have never gotten out of a car to shake an acacia, acacia tree. Mm-hmm. But then when I got out and started shaking it, everyone got out of the vehicles and wanted to see what was happening. <laughs> so I think they kind of appreciated my, my uber nerdiness. <laughs>
0: That's interesting. So does it look, does it have, is it just, does it have branches though?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's a tree. Okay. So imagine Cause, like. Because
0: r- I'm just trying to imagine a, uh, with, with leaves that small what what it even looks like it must just look like a twig poking out of the ground
1: no it's like a full-on so think of a rose bush so there's right? a
0: bunch of branches
1: and there's a bunch of branches and these teeny tiny little leaves but there's lots of them here i'm going to show you a picture everyone or like else maybe like see a see blackberry this. bush kind of thing here this is what it looks like
0: um okay so i'm looking at a picture
1: so the, the oh, thorns I see. are yeah, huge yeah yeah it's
0: kind of looks kind of like a fern
1: yeah the leaves are kind of like fern they're
0: long and skinny yeah got it and then that bulb that i'm looking at that black thing that's yeah where that's the ants where the ants live okay interesting
1: yeah that was super fun that was one of my giant nerdy moments
0: okay so on the to-dos is to go back and i really want to rent, bring you rent a truck
1: i mean i know you're not as much of like a science environmental nerd as i am but driving down a road and seeing A grown male giraffe just walking down the grass by itself. You know, in Jurassic Park, when they turn the corner and they see that grassy area with all the brontosauruses and they just stop and they're like, oh my God, right? It's that same feeling when you all of a sudden see like a giraffe or you watch like a parade of elephants walk in front of your safari vehicle and they're so close you can almost touch them but you know better so you don't you know it's these things that we are constantly bombarded with on a daily basis everyone knows what a giraffe looks like everyone knows what an elephant looks like some of us have even been to the zoo and seen them behind their enclosures but to see them just out there like doing their thing is totally different i'm actually like i feel like emotional just talking about it There's like tears in my eyes right now. (laughs) Maybe it's the jet lag, but like, yeah, it's pretty intense.
0: I could see that. I mean, even just being outdoors in person compared to looking at a picture is completely different.
1: Yeah. So So, remember when you were, you took that, you were on your motorcycle and you're up at Mount Hood and you turned the corner and you saw that bear like way down the road and you were like, (laughs) <laughs> yeah, <laughs> So very then, memorable oh, yeah, and shocking. Right? So that was like one bear in the road. So imagine going to a place where instead of bears, you see a pride of 11 lions that have just killed a zebra and one lion is like moving the zebra carcass towards the rest of the like baby lions, right? It's, I don't even have words for what that is. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like you were in awe. I was more, like, scared. Right.
1: I mean... I was like,
0: oh, my God, what am I going to do? I'm really close to this big-ass bear. I don't actually know what I'm supposed to do in this situation, and it's going to take me at least five seconds to turn this motorcycle around because it weighs 400 pounds.
1: I mean, I guess that's one nice thing about, A, the vehicles we're in because they're pretty protective. Mm -hmm. Having a guide who's done this before and kind of knows what to expect, I was never really scared of the lion's. Because they they sought out the jeeps. It's not like we surrounded the lions in their like resting state and agitated them. We would see them far off in the grass and a bunch of Safari vehicles would park and they would come like in in the Ingoro Goro crater, a female lion and a male lion were minding their own business in the grass, and all these Safari vehicles showed up so people could take pictures of them lounging in the grass. Sister got up, walked in the middle of the road where there's like maybe 20 safari vehicles and she's hiding behind them, stalking some gazelle, no, some zebra that are on the other side of the road. So she, they know to use the safari vehicles as cover. She basically used us as like cover and the big male lion came. I don't know. He was just following her. The males don't hunt. Only the females hunt. And I don't know where the rest of the pride was. It seemed to be just the two of them. And I don't think that like one female lion could take down one healthy zebra from that distance. Like there was there was no way she was going to get anything. But she was just stalking and hunting and he just kind of traipsed along behind her and found some shade and like laid down and was like, I'm just going to lay here until you figure out what you want to do. Like, they came to us. So I was never scared of the lions. The elephants with the babies, when they came too close to us, I kind of got freaked out. Because those things are huge and massively strong and very protective of their young. So those things scared me a little. And then in the Serengeti, my tent was at the very edge of camp. I was the last tent, like, at the edge of camp, away from, like, the main center area. And in the middle of the night, I had a cape buffalo decide that the grass under my tent was the most delicious grass. And those are, besides the hippo, are the most dangerous animal in the Serengeti because they charge with no warning and for no reason. They just get like a bug up their butt and decide they just want to charge and they give no warning and they're huge. They're massive buffalo with these huge horns. And so I'm laying in bed and the only thing between me and this buffalo is like a mesh screen. I could hear it snorting and chewing and could hear it's like horns rubbing up up against the canvas of my tent and I almost pooped my pants. And I didn't know what to do. And so they gave us a flashlight and they said, if you need it, because we weren't allowed to leave our tents at night because we're in the middle of the Serengeti and there's no fence around camp. So lions, leopards, baboons, buffalo, giraffe, they all are living there. Right. So you just can't walk out at night. So they gave us a flashlight and a whistle and they said if you need anything at night just flash your flashlight and somebody will come to your tent. So I'm I like grab my flashlight, I grab the whistle, I grab my phone and I run into the bathroom area that still has like windows but it's as far away from the Buffalo as I could get in my tent. And I'm like shaking my flashlight towards the window, hoping somebody sees it. Nobody sees it. So I'm hanging onto my whistle. I'm like, do I blow the whistle? Like, do I really want to be that person that blows the whistle? I mean, obviously the Buffalo hasn't hurt me yet. I'm just nervous to be this close to the Buffalo. The Buffalo is just eating grass, like snorting up a storm, rubbing up against my tent, shaking things, but he's not being malicious or she, I didn't look to see which one it was. Um, so I just hide in my bathroom for like 40 minutes waiting for like Slow chomper Buffalo to find a new place to eat grass. And then it took me maybe another 40 minutes after it left for my heart rate to go back down, to go back to sleep. And then it came back. <laughs> the bastard came back like an hour and a half later and was munching it in the exact same spot. So I went back to the bathroom and hid in the shower. <laughs> <laughs> I was not, I mean, they said I wasn't at any risk, and I'm sure I wasn't. Evidently, their eyesight is really poor. They had no, it, probably had no idea I was even there. But um, that was terrifying, especially because it's like the middle of the night.
0: It sounds like they eat grass too, right?
1: Yeah, no, they're herbivores. They only yeah. eat grass. So they, the they would only, so they would
0: only attack you if, if they probably felt threatened.
1: Well, that's the thing about the Cape Buffalo is they charge even when they aren't threatened. Hmm. They're just random chargers. But it was alone. It wasn't with its herd. Uh, it was probably, so they call them the retired generals. You'll drive around and you'll see a bunch of really old buffalo hanging out together, usually in groups of like two or four, sometimes six. And they call them the retired generals because they are too old to procreate anymore. So the herd just kind of says, you're no use to us. You have to go hang out by yourself. So it's just like, it's an old man's group. <laughs> <laughs> they just kind of lay around with each other. <laughs> so it's probably talk about just, the good old days. Yeah, right. It was probably just like an old retired general. Just and the way the tents are set up, they're raised up again up off the ground, and in the back are like showers. But all the water that comes to the shower just goes. Into the ground underneath the tent. So, underneath the tent is all this like super luscious, soft, tender grass that's been watered regularly, unlike the rest of the Serengeti, which is like dry and crunchy, you know? So, obviously, if you're interested in eating grass, finding a tent that has like freshly watered tender grass is like, yeah, clutch. <laughs> that's where you want to be. Nice. Yeah. And so, while I was gone on my three plus weeks of adventure, I found out through Instagram occasionally that you bought two motorcycles, <laughs> not one. Yeah, but two.
0: Well, while you were busy exploring the Serengeti, <laughs> I was busy acquiring motorcycles, <laughs> which is kind of cool. I took—I've uh, never owned multiple motorcycles at the same time, and that's not true. Why? What? Which ones did I own at the same time?
1: You had the Tiger Eight Hundred. And the WR. Oh, that's right. I did. You're right. Was that the WR250R that you had?
0: Yeah. Except I, when I got the, I, I think I started selling the, the Tiger as soon as I got the WR. It just took a while to.
1: No, 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 no. What you had, when you bought the Tiger, I remember I got mad because we had a car we didn't drive that we were paying on. And then there was a motorcycle that you didn't use that just sat in the parking garage. And then you bought the Tiger. Oh, so we had it was, three vehicles. Oh, you're right. Yeah,
0: you're right. Okay. So, well, okay. Yes, you're right. <laughs> I actually had, there was a moment where I had three motorcycles at the same time. Yes. And this, but but the intention wasn't to ride them. Right. So it was more of just like, I, when I originally got interested in riding motorcycles, I got it, I got a TW, Yamaha tw That's what it was, the TW. To use for commuting. I actually only took it off road one time. Yeah, I had no interest in riding off road. I just thought that that motorcycle looked cool, and I rode it on the street only with the <laughs> stock tires. And it was, I think it was the same bike that we used in our motorcycle training, which is how I even learned about it. The the doing the figure eights in the parking lot and taking the safety course and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. And then um, I commuted on that for a few years and. Yeah, I was never really into motorcycling. I just thought it was a great way to commute. And then um, I decided to get a more powerful bike. And then I got a Harley. And so I had both of those at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then I traded in the Harley for a Triumph Bonneville. So then I had the T-Dub and the Bonneville at the same time. Mm -hmm. And then when we moved to Oregon, I brought... No, no, no. When we moved to Oregon, I still had the the Harley. And so Mm -hmm. I moved...
1: No, because remember you crashed the Harley before we left Seattle, and your dad sold it when we lived in San Francisco. So you no, had, he fixed it. He he. But he sold it. Oh
0: yeah, you're right. And so you Man, had I, I don't know. I,
1: I, you I had a Triumph. Completely
0: forgot this timeline.
1: You had the Triumph Sports, no, the Triumph Bonneville.
0: The Triumph Bonneville I got in Oregon.
1: Right. So you had that, and then you had a second bike. Remember, because they were both parked out in front of our house. The
0: TW two hundred
1: was that the TW? Yeah. So in Oregon,
0: I got a Triumph Bonneville. Oh, that's right,
1: because your dad drove. The T Dub down in a U-Haul, yeah, <laughs> and dropped it off when he came to visit. Okay, and that, it's all coming back to me now. Yeah,
0: so we got we we we, <laughs> we rented this house in in Oregon, and I bought the Triumph Bonneville. I wrote it six hand, times. I wrote it a handful of times, <laughs> but one of those is the longest motorcycle trip I had ever taken, which is to San Francisco. Right. So this was from Oregon to San Francisco down the coast and then back up again. And I had so much freaking fun on that trip. That's when I started researching like this whole adventure motorcycle thing. I was like, this was fun, but I bet you there's a cooler bike for this. And lo and behold, I started watching all the long way around videos and (laughs) like everybody else and started looking at the bigger bikes. And so I completely lost interest in the Bonneville. And then my dad drove up from Seattle front with or down from seattle with my tw 200 so i had the tw 100 and the bonneville didn't ride them for for years actually left them parked and we moved from that house and i just left them at the house i left both of them at the house for like
1: nine months (laughs) there were two motorcycles parked in front of a house that we owned but didn't live in that house
0: they were both just under bike covers and And then one got towed and so then yeah finally i came back to like Reckon with these motorcycles. Nine that I left. months later. The TW two hundred was just gone. No, the Yeah, the TW two hundred was just gone. gone. It wasn't there anymore. <laughs> so um but there was like this uh really weathered tag sitting on the ground that I'm pretty sure is from like Oregon DMV or something. It had a number on it that I couldn't read. It was like a receipt for taking the bike or something. I never did get that bike back or know what happened to it. So that bike was just stolen from me um, by By Oregon. Oregon. But it was kind of my fault for leaving it there. The the Bonneville was still there, though. And uh, I ended up taking that to Triumph to trade in for the Tiger. So that's how I ended up getting the Tiger. And then, yeah, I guess I had two bikes eventually. Again, when I transitioned to the Yamaha yeah. WR250R. But I never really had two bikes that I that I thought about riding at the same time. No,
1: you just had like an evolution of like, how do I want my motorcycle adventures to look? And sometimes you just didn't shed your old skin fast enough. Yeah. And by old skin, I mean old bike.
0: <laughs> yeah, there was always, I never wanted to be without a bike. Yeah, I had like anxiety around that, so there was always a little bit of overlap. But yeah, so while you're gone, I just got two bikes again. But m- <laughs> my intention is to actually ride both of them. I got the the larger bike, the KTM six, and the reason why this is possible is because I bought used, which I don't usually do. That's true. And I didn't just buy used; I bought old, so they're both from 2006, and so they're both pretty inexpensive much less than even half the price of, of a single new motorcycle. So financially, it made a lot of sense. There wasn't really a, a downside. The only downside I've noticed so far is the KTM is missing bolts <laughs> in places. <laughs> I'm sure they've just rattled out. Um, Isn't
1: there something wrong with the fenders? it cracked or something? The fender's
0: broken. You know, there there's a. it seems like there's a, a, a small coolant leak. Oh, I, I see a few drops on the... In the parking garage.
1: Oh, we should put some something down underneath.
0: Yeah, but it runs great, and uh, other than the the anxiety around it breaking down, which I <laughs> I don't think that's actually an issue. Just I'm not a very good mechanic, so I don't. You know, I I'll look at everything before I get on the bike, but I'm like, okay, it looks good to me, and everything <laughs> feels fine, and I changed the oil recently, and I checked the air filter, and I've tightened some bolts. I got a, a spoke torque wrench, Ew. which I've never had before, and you know the sp- all the spokes were massively loose so i'm really glad i did that and learned how to tighten spokes <laughs> yeah so i think it's going to be fun and
1: you're actually going to use them this weekend
0: yeah i have the i'm going to use the bigger bike this weekend up in steamboat springs and the smaller bike i am going to use the smaller bike is a yz250 it's a dirt bike no plate on it And I don't think I plan on putting a plate on it, even though in Colorado it's not too difficult to do that. But that bike is almost ready to use. I just have to change the silencer because it doesn't have a spark arrestor in it. Oh, yeah, you got to do that. Right now it's illegal. But I have the silencer. I just don't have some of the bolts that I need to put it on because the previous owner put on a shorty exhaust and threw away all the extra bolts. So, um, yeah, pretty straightforward. And I think after that, that's good to go. I don't really, uh, yeah. There's not really, not really any th- any other updates other, other than <laughs> motorcycles, and I'm gonna ride them again. <laughs> it was just
1: so funny. I'd be in the middle of like,
0: yeah. I gave you no nowhere. warning. I gave you no warning. I was in the warning. middle of
1: nowhere, and some of our lodges had better Wi-Fi than others. Like there, and the Masai Mara had zero connectivity. None. I was like completely offline for the whole time, and then intermediately, I would have varying levels of connectivity, and so occasionally. Like, I remember I just opened up Instagram at the Lodge, and, like, there's Chris, like, with a motorcycle in his Instagram story. And I know Chris, and I know that he wouldn't put somebody else's bike in his Instagram story. And I knew that was him just announcing that he'd got a bike. But I had no text message, no email, no little, like, personal message that said, hey, honey, I got a new bike. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, my God, my husband bought a motorcycle. And all the people I'm on the tour with, they're like, he just bought a motorcycle. I was like... Well, I I think so. I mean, I I think he owns one and I don't know how he got it. And then I found out that you did like a trade situation kind of with it, right? Yeah. You didn't like buy it f- like full price. You like did some trade, yep. barter, whatever. And then and then everything's fine. I'm like, "Oh, okay, that's no big deal, no big deal." And everyone else is still like, "Wow, I okay, no big deal, you know, like, okay." Uh, and some of these couples that were on this tour, they're older, right? They're in their 70s. Some of them had been married for like almost 50 years. So, you know, every marriage has its own dynamics. Um, and then like two weeks later, I got some Instagram, I got some Wi-Fi again, not two weeks, but maybe like a week later, there was, a- and I saw a second motorcycle. Now, the only reason I know, I'm not a big motorcycle person. The only reason I know it was a different motorcycle is because one is orange and one is blue. <laughs> um, and so I'm like, And I could tell that one was more of an adventure bike because it was bigger, the orange one, and the blue one was much smaller. And so I knew that was an off-road bike. This is the extent of my knowledge on motorcycles. And I was like, oh, shit. Are you kidding me? Like, where are we going to put two motorcycles? We have a condo. Yes. With one designated parking spot. And I know that one would fit up against the wall of our one parking spot, but where the heck is the other one going to live? So, anyways, I'm sitting there in again somewhere like in Gorgo or Crater, or maybe it was even the Serengeti. And I was like, he got another motorcycle? <laughs> of course, we're sitting at dinner and everyone looks at me and they're like, he got a second motorcycle? I said, I think so, <laughs> but he hasn't told me anything. <laughs> Punk ass.
0: <laughs> They're just so cheap, you know. I'm just out, I'm just out getting just like, groceries, checking Craigslist. I'm like, oh, this looks, looks, looks like a good one. I'm going
1: to go pick up some eggs and avocado and a motorcycle. No big deal. MBD.
0: So what's also cool about the uh, getting a smaller bike is in order to carry that home <laughs> with the, <laughs> with the uh, camper on the truck, I also picked up a hitch hauler, which is something I've been wanting to grab for a long time. But I ended up getting this cheap one from Cycle Gear, which I think is pretty good. It's it's all steel. It's super thick. It seems like it's going to hold, but it's not <laughs> anyone that I've ever heard of. Uh, it seems good. It's got like a 500 pound load capacity, um, comes with a ramp that, that attaches to it. So that's pretty cool. So I, we, we got a hitch hauler now as well. And, uh, Makes it a little easier to take the bike places. We don't gotta take the camper off every time, or ever, ever. Because we we have nowhere to put it if we took it off, <laughs> so it has to stay on there. And it weighs a lot of it. It's like three hundred pounds or whatever. Yeah,
1: I don't even know how we would get it off or back on again, for that matter. But yeah, that's uh, that's our life. Easy breezy, beautiful.
0: Yeah, that's probably good. It's probably good for this week, right? Yeah. What do you Should think?
1: we do? Yeah, and uh, yeah, I guess that's it. Ta da!
0: I guess we'll see you. Uh, we're releasing this a little bit late, but uh, we'll see when we do the next one. Maybe it'll be in a few days, so a few days from now, Maybe. hopefully something happens. <laughs> <laughs> Better be a really exciting few days. Oh
1: my gosh! Well, you are going to be in Steamboat oh, Springs. Yeah, frames. I think we
0: could do it after the trip. Yeah, yeah. So we'll just do it on Monday or Tuesday or something. Yeah, I love that. Okay. Well, we'll talk to you next time.
1: All right. Cheers.
0: Bye.